0: serve as an elder here at Renovation Church, and just grateful to have each and every one of you here with us this morning. We're continuing our series this morning through these difficult questions, through questioning Christianity, and this morning we deal with the topic of the authority of Scripture. When someone with authority speaks up, we listen up. Over the past 30 years, the State of the Union address has garnered on average 42.1 million views. No matter the opinion of the president, the opinion of the nation, when the president speaks up, people listen up. Or any young people out there, hey kids, when your parents speak up, you best be listening up, right? Amen. Or say we're driving down the road, maybe going a little too fast, and we see those oh-so-familiar lights and colors in the median, and we immediately listen up, and we pump those brakes. Without a single word, we listen up we slow down because we recognize that authority. When someone with authority speaks up, we listen up. And here at this church, we believe that the scriptures are authoritative concerning existence, our world, and us as people. But why do we believe this? Why do we believe the scriptures have authority over each and every one of us? Friends, when God speaks up, we must listen up. So if you would please turn in your Bibles with me to Psalm chapter 19, the 19th Psalm. This is where we'll sort of spend most of our time together this morning. So we sort of bounce around as we have throughout the series. Psalm 19. This is the word of God. To the choir master, a psalm of David. The heavens declare the glory of God, and the sky above proclaims his handiwork. Day to day pours out speech, and night to night reveals knowledge. There is no speech, nor are there words whose voice is not heard. Their voice goes out through all the earth, and their words to the end of the world. Let's ask the Lord, our, the Spirit, for his assistance this morning. Gracious and most merciful Spirit, whose word we read now, Lord God, free us from those things that burden us this morning, that we might behold glorious things revealed in your word, we ask and pray this in Christ Jesus' name, amen. The psalmist begins by saying that God reveals himself in such a way so as to ensure that no one is out of reach of his revelation, his authoritative speaking. Now, according to theologians of the past, they refer to this first part of the psalm as the book of nature, that nature itself is a kind of book through which God speaks and reveals himself. So before we even get to the book of scripture, we see that the scriptures do not come out of nowhere, but come in the context of a created universe which proclaims the manifold works and glories of God. The the day and night are always speaking. They're always pointing away from themselves to the God who made them, to the glorious creator's craftsmanship. Just this past week, I was uh, out on a walk on the Erie Canal walk, out in Fayetteville. If you've never gone there, it's beautiful. I was out on a walk with Bob Williams. And as we're sort of looking around and observing everything, the leaves changing, we even saw a blue heron Bob says, he says, look at how beautiful nature is. The one behind this must be even more wonderful. These wordless voices are at all times heard by every living creature because God indirectly speaks of his glory through his works. They are clear. God exists, and he has created all things, and he alone upholds all things by the word of his power. That God's works in the world speak, and they are authoritative. However, as soon as we look close enough at the world around us, we find that we're left with all sorts of unanswered questions. God's works can tell us something true, real about him, but they can't tell us everything about him. God's works in the world can tell us that justice, goodness, beauty, and truth are real, but we look into them as with the darkened glasses. We see them only partially, partially. We see even in man a longing for something more, something beyond himself, some kind of goodness. We aren't quite sure what that goodness is. Even though God's works speak authoritatively, they aren't enough. But God did not leave us with one book Thomas Aquinas wrote it was necessary for the salvation of man that certain truths which exceed human reason should be known to him by divine revelation man's whole salvation which is in God depends upon the knowledge of this truth we must listen up when God speaks through his works in the book of nature it's authoritative, but it's not sufficient for all that God wants for us. God was not content to leave man to the natural means of knowing him. But in the scriptures, God reveals himself in a special and unique way. And in them, God speaks up. If you look At these next verses, starting at verse 7 in Psalm 19, we read, The law of the Lord is perfect, reviving the soul. The testimony of the Lord is sure, making wise the simple. The precepts of the Lord are right, rejoicing the heart. The commandment of the Lord is pure, enlightening the eyes. The fear of the Lord is clean, enduring forever. The rules of the Lord are true and righteous altogether. The psalmist zeroes in on one of the most important things God says in the word, that God spoke through the law. And here we read of God's law, his testimony, precepts, commands, fears, and rules. And in this, the psalmist summarizes the law handed down to Moses. We see that this law has seven descriptors that it's perfect, sure, right, pure, clean, true, righteous. But not only that, God's revelation in the law has its effects. It affects us, it revives the soul, makes wise the simple, rejoices the heart, enlightens the eyes. It was the law which provided a a blueprint to the people of God for true living. This is why the psalmist, in one way, reflects on the sun in the previous verses. He says, if we pay close attention to the sun, we notice in its movement a kind of happy existence, that the sun functions as it ought to, according to God's authoritative design. And in that the psalmist says that the sun is like a bridegroom. Hey guys, when you got married, happiest day of your life, right? The sun is like a bridegroom, happy, coming out of its chamber, day in and day out. And in another way, the sun is like a man competing, a runner competing its course with joy. That there is a joyful fittingness between the runner and his running. The sun is what it ought to be because the sun lives according to God's natural law. So it only makes sense that when he considers the intelligent creatures like human beings, He speaks so highly of God's written law, of God's authoritative commands revealed in his word. Because living according to God's authoritative command is meant for the fullness of creaturely happiness. But God hasn't spoken only in his law. God also spoke through the prophets. When you read any of the prophets, the constant refrain is, thus says the Lord. Peter picks up on this in his second letter when he says, for no prophecy was ever produced by the will of a man, but men spoke from God as they were carried along by the Holy Spirit. Not the words of men, but the word of God. And we read in the prophets, that that they served a, a corrective function when the nation of Israel fell into error, that they were in some sense as a covenant prosecutor, that they were always calling the people back to faithfulness, back to wholeness, to true happiness according to God's word. And not only that, but they declared God's great promises that God was going to do something about their failure, that God was gonna restore wholeness and happiness for mankind. Not only the prophets though, the wisdom literature also, in the Psalms, Job, Ecclesiastes, Song of Solomon, Proverbs, right? They teach true wisdom. They teach what it means to discern true knowledge from false knowledge, true living from false living, Wisdom from foolishness. That wisdom is meant to lead us to wholeness and happiness. But not only the wisdom literature, also the historical books like Kings and Samuel, Judges, Esther, etc. If you're reading with the, the reading plan right now, we're in the, the first few chapters of Kings at this moment they reveal that even in the midst of whether it's tremendous blessing or absolute disaster, God directs and upholds history itself and that he is faithful to fulfill his promises. Paul, in the New Testament, commenting on the nature and power of scripture said, all scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching for reproof, for correction, for training in righteousness, that the man of God may be complete, equipped for every good work. That all scripture is to complete those who read it. That it functions to fill out our lack. That it leads us to God in his authoritative purposes for human beings, for human wholeness, And happiness. And when Paul says the scriptures are God-breathed, literally makes up a word in the Greek. God-breathed. He means that they are the words of God himself. They are not the product of human invention. They are not men and women attempting to reach for God. Rather, the Scriptures are God reaching down and speaking to mankind. Because of this, the truthful authority of the Scriptures are not dependent on the Scriptures themselves. Rather, the Scriptures are truthful authority because of their author. The Second London Confession says this. It says, The authority of the Holy Scriptures for which it ought to be believed Depends not on the testimony of any man or church, but wholly upon God, who is truth itself, the author thereof. Therefore, it is to be received according, so to be received because it is the word of God. God is the author of the word, and he is truth himself. This is why when God speaks, we must listen up. When God speaks up, we listen up. Because he is truth in the highest sense. That there is no lie in him. That he is incapable of falsehood. That what he says is altogether true. And as truth, he knows all things for exactly what they are. Louis Burkhoff, writing on God as truth, said, Thus, the truth of God is the foundation of all knowledge. Since God is truth and is the foundation of all knowledge, we would do well to listen up to what he has to say. Just as the psalmist says, he says, More to be desired are they than gold, even much fine gold. Sweeter also than honey and drippings of the honeycomb. We live in a world that would have you value your own authority, your self, own self-empowerment, your own autonomy, the, your own no-one-can-tell-me-what-to-do mentality. No one is over me except myself. Friends, we are not sovereign over ourselves. We are not laws unto ourselves. We do not dictate right from wrong, good from evil. God does, and we belong to Him. In any sense, of goodness, justice, beauty, and truth is ultimately, and in its totality, dependent on the nature of God. And yet we try so hard, so often, don't we? We feel that tension, whether it's the world tugging at us or our sin saying, no, 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 no. You're better than him. You're better than that. You don't need his word. You need your own words. You don't need his law. It's good enough that you're obedient to the the standards that you set for yourself. This is what sin does. Sin is lawlessness. It's rebellion against God. Against who he is against the worship and the glory that he deserves. We feel that tension, don't we? In us, to kick against that. The psalmist knows this. He goes on to pray these words. He says, moreover by them is your servant warned. And keeping them, there is great reward. Who can discern his errors? Declare me innocent from hidden faults. his failure to the law. He sees that the law has in it a kind of warning, that we fail to be obedient to the law. When you open up this book, it's not just the law, right? The Torah, Moses, no, it's every single passage contains some kind of law. And if we're honest with ourselves, if we're honest about our sins, we recognize that when we encounter law, we're always in some ways failing to live up to that standard, to live up to God's law. Friends, the scriptures altogether together tell us what's wrong with us, what's wrong with the world, and without them we'll never be able to truly discern what's gone wrong. But when we encounter law in the pages of this word, the Lord at every time and in every way and always is meeting us with the gospel. All of God speaking in the law, the prophets, the wisdom, in the history, ascends to what God is doing to correct and to save lawbreakers. That God speaks in his word. And when he speaks, he's primarily speaking of his son, of the word of the Father, the Son of God, Jesus Christ. Herman Bavink helpfully stated of the scriptures, He says, as its content, this revelation has one great comprehensive promise of the covenant of grace. I will be a God unto thee, and ye shall be my people. And as its midpoint and its high point, this revelation has at its Emmanuel, God with us, that Jesus Christ is God with us. That when he came, he came and he said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. The Father speaks through his word, the divine Son, and that in this word, we read of Jesus, his person, his works, and his salvation. When speaking of Jesus Christ, the the scriptures speak of um, a historical fact with spiritual realities. That there was a person who came in the context of an ancient people and when on earth. He made these authoritative statements that pointed to the fact that the history of that people of Israel hinged on his coming. That their history... Was his story. That God and his speaking in the Old Testament was about Jesus Christ. That he is the fulfillment of the law. That he is the wisdom of God. That he came as a prophet to perfectly fulfill and to fulfill um, and reveal God's will that all of history was building up and crescendoing to this point that the Son of God came. And this is revealed and expounded upon in the New Testament. We're not only talking about the Old Testament. This is expounded upon and revealed in the New Testament. The Gospels tell of his his person and his work. Acts records the explosion of, of the church and of the world through the preaching of the gospel and the power of the Holy Spirit. That the epistles contemplate and expound upon the mystery of Christ, his kingdom, and his second coming to renew all things. We see the Son of God come to meet our every need for goodness, righteousness, and truth, for wholeness, and happiness, that Jesus Christ is divine authority wrapped in humanity, that he lived under his own law, walked in perfect obedience, that he died a death that he did not deserve, that Christ used his authority, the greatest authority, in humiliation submitted to his own law dies as a lawbreaker without any sin at all. So that people can be reconciled to God, who is our wholeness, who is our happiness, who is our life and our all. Friend, if you're here today, if you're not a Christian, hear this message. Friend, God has authority over you whether you recognize it or not. And that his authoritative word, he is speaking to you even in this moment. That nothing is hidden from him. That he knows you for exactly who you are. And yet, in spite of that, in spite of what sin deserves, he offers and extends forgiveness in Jesus Christ, his son. Because God is good and holy, he must punish sin. But praise God in history and as revealed in this book, God makes known to you the way Of salvation. If you look to Christ in faith as your only hope this morning, your only hope for salvation from sin, God promises, according to His authoritative word, that He will forgive you. Look to Christ and find forgiveness in Him. If you're a Christian here today, Man, Renovation Church, make the psalmist's prayer your prayer. Recognize every day your need to be renewed into the image of God, into the image of Christ in faith and with full resolve dependent on the Holy Spirit. Pursue obedience and faith. Cry out to God. That he would reveal hidden sins to you. That he would, as it says, um, keep you back from presumptuous sins. That sin would not have dominion over you. Pray these things. Pray these words. There isn't a better word for you to pray being totally honest, totally clear. Praying the words of this book pleases God the most because it's his own word and it's a perfect word. Friends, as you seek obedience, as you seek faith, as you read this word, don't hold it in. Don't hold it to yourself. Don't harbor it. But share the goodness and loving kindness of God found in this word to others, share it with your brothers and sisters here, meet regularly to talk about this word but not only fellow believers but with our friends our families, our neighbors, to tell them of the, the goodness of God in this word and most of all seek Christ in this word Because in the word, God is teaching your minds, changing your hearts, and leading you to true happiness, which is found in Christ alone. There is no better source. There is no truer authority. Why do we say that the Bible has authority over our lives? because the God who speaks to you through his works and through his word is truth himself and is a trustworthy authority. So let's listen up. Amen? Let's pray. Oh Lord, who can discern his errors? God, declare us innocent from hidden faults. Keep us from presumptuous sin. Lord God, we ask that they would not have dominion over us. Lord, make us blameless and innocent of transgression. And God, we ask this not by some power in us, but because of your son Jesus and the power of your spirit at work within us. Lord, only you can do this. Help us. Give us grace and strength. Lord, let the words of our mouth and the meditation of our hearts be acceptable in your sight. O Lord, our rock and our redeemer. We pray this in his name, the name of our rock and our redeemer, Jesus Christ, our Lord. Amen.